The American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association both revised the diagnostic criteria for hypertension in 2017. The new recommendations give much lower diagnostic thresholds for elevated stage 1 and stage 2 hypertension. Remember that elevated blood pressure is now defined as the systolic blood pressure between 120 and 129 and diastolics less than 80. Mild hypertension, which is now defined as stage 1, is blood pressure between 130 and 139 and diastolic pressures between 80 and 89 millimeters of mercury. Stage 2 hypertension is where ACOG uses 140 over 90 as preeclampsia or as PIH cutoff. So here we have a discrepancy, right? ACOG uses 140 over 90 as abnormal blood pressure in pregnancy, but the American Heart Association considers that stage 2 hypertension. Now, the new guidelines from the American College of Cardiology were revised because of the increased cardiovascular morbidity and mortality seen in adults at lower blood pressure thresholds. However, that did not include pregnancy. Now, ACOG, in their last bulletin about preeclampsia and hypertensive disorders in pregnancy, stated that they needed to be more data before the blood pressure cutoffs were adjusted for pregnancy. Well, we now have more data. So in this podcast, we're going to present an article that's not yet out in print from the Gray Journal. This is called Perinatal Outcomes in Women with Elevated Blood Pressure and Stage 1 Hypertension. Is it benign or is it something that we really should keep an eye on and aggressively get in front of? Well, let's take a look at this new retrospective study now. We already know that chronic hypertension, now known as stage 2 hypertension, is known to increase pregnancy morbidity with higher rates and severity of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, fetal growth restriction, iatrogenic preterm delivery, and even stillbirth. Obstetric guidelines have not adopted the new diagnostic thresholds for hypertension according to the American College of Cardiology because we just need more data according to the college. Actually, in the most recent practice bulletin on hypertension from the ACOG, stage 1 hypertension was indeed noted to be a potential risk factor for adverse pregnancy events, but they stated it still, quote, needed further research, end quote. So the objective of the current study that we're presenting was to evaluate the outcomes in women that were diagnosed as having elevated or stage 1 hypertension compared to stage 2, which is chronic hypertension, and to see if, in fact, the elevated blood pressure designation and stage 1 hypertension designation actually led to poor OB outcomes. Now, before we get into the study design, I just need to tell you, and I'm sure you know just how real world this dilemma really is, because we often see patients in labor and delivery triage, let's say in the late second trimester or the early third trimester for rule out labor, and their pressures are in the, you know, 130s, over 80s, but not the 140 over 90 cutoff that ACOG uses as preeclampsia or elevated in pregnancy. So the 
question is, what do we do with those? I've always felt uncomfortable with these women who don't meet the traditional PIH cutoff of 140 over 90, but their blood pressures are definitely in the 130s over 80s. So this is why this is really relevant. And I hope you can relate to that dilemma because it happened to me just the other day on call. This was a retrospective cohort study of pregnant women with singleton gestations using electronic medical record data from a large urban academic tertiary care center from data collected between 2013 and 2019. Antepartum, interpartum, and three months postpartum data were collected. Women were categorized as having normotension, elevated blood pressures according to the ACA criteria, stage 1 hypertension or stage 2 hypertension, which was called chronic hypertension within the paper. Women were determined to have elevated blood pressure. Remember, that's if they had blood pressure between 120 to 129 with diastolics less than 80. They were considered to have stage 1 hypertension if they had at least two blood pressures of systolics being 130 to 139 and or diastolics between 80 and 89 milliliters of mercury. And of course, stage 2 hypertension was defined as chronic hypertension in those that had elevated blood pressure before 20 weeks of gestation. Women were excluded if they had other comorbidities that increased the risk for hypertensive disorders of pregnancy like pre-existing diabetes, chronic renal disease, or systemic lupus erythematosus. They were also excluded if there were fewer than two blood pressures documented before 20 weeks of gestation and or if they actually began antihypertensive medication after 20 weeks. The primary outcome assessed was the composite of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, including preeclampsia, eclampsia, and HELP syndrome. Also, things that were considered were neonatal outcomes like fetal growth restriction, preterm birth under 37 weeks, and neonatal ICU admissions from delivery until hospital discharge. They also examined perinatal mortality, defined as fetal death after 20 weeks of gestation, as well as neonatal death. After exclusions were applied, the total cohort for study included 18,801 women. 71% were completely normotensive, while 14% had elevated blood pressures according to the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology. 7% had stage 1 hypertension and 6.8% had stage 2 hypertension. Women with stage 1 high blood pressure tended to be obese, tended to have non-Hispanic black race, and tended to be more of advanced maternal age. Aspirin initiation before or after 16 weeks of gestation was actually similar among the blood pressure categories. Okay, let's get into the results and find out what happened to those women that had elevated or stage 1 hypertension. Remember, we usually call those normal before the American Heart Association came and messed everything up. Just kidding. So let's take a look now at what happened to these women with elevated or stage 1 hypertension. Following multivariable adjustments, there was an increased likelihood of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy among women with the elevated blood pressure designation, with an adjusted odds ratio of about 1.5. Stage 1 hypertension also gave an increased odds ratio of developing hypertensive disorders of pregnancy with an odds ratio of 2.54. 
And of course, those with stage 2 hypertension had an adjusted odds ratio of developing high blood pressure disorders of pregnancy at a rate of 7.14 as an odds ratio. Now, all this is compared to the normotensive controls. The biggest contributor to the increase in hypertensive disorders of pregnancy was preeclampsia, as overall frequencies of eclampsia and HELP syndrome, of course, were low. The risk, however, of gestational hypertension increased from 6% in normotensive women to 10% in women with elevated blood pressures, and it was up to 26% higher in those with the stage 1 hypertension designation. The risk of preeclampsia increased progressively with blood pressure groups from about 3.9% of normotensive women to 6.3% in women with the elevated blood pressure group and 10.6% for women that had stage 1 hypertension. Now, in terms of neonatal outcomes, neonates of women with elevated blood pressures and stage 1 hypertension had a small increased risk of NICU admissions compared to neonates of normotensive women even after controlling for gestational age of delivery. Women with elevated blood pressures and stage 1 hypertension also had an increased risk of preterm birth compared to the normotensive women controls. There was no difference in fetal growth restriction or perinatal mortality among the groups, so that at least is good news. Okay, so what are we supposed to do with this information, right? So we see women that have elevated blood pressure, according to the American College of Cardiology, or stage 1 hypertension, but they don't hit that 140 over 90 traditional PIH slash preeclampsia cutoff. Well, what do we do? Well, that's a good question. Now, although there is currently no guidelines for the elevated blood pressure or the stage 1 hypertension in pregnancy cohort, they did demonstrate, according to this study, that there was an increased risk of hypertensive disorders in pregnancy and other poor outcomes in women that have these two conditions, elevated blood pressure and stage 1 hypertension. Retrospective cohort studies in multiple countries have also shown this increase in hypertensive disorders in pregnancy in women with those two designations, elevated blood pressure and stage 1 hypertension, compared to women who are normotensive. Now, in addition, several studies have also identified increases in preterm births driven by indicated deliveries due to hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. Now, I've got to tell you, this wasn't the only study that has looked at this. There was a separate retrospective cohort study that grouped women into the blood pressure categories according to the 2017 American College of Cardiology guidelines. And just like in this study, they found a two- to three-fold increase in the rates of preeclampsia and actually gestational diabetes in women with stage 1 hypertension and a 25-50% to 50% increase in preeclampsia eclampsia in women with elevated blood pressures. Okay, so what's our clinical pearl? What's our clinical implication? Well, here it is. Chronic hypertension, traditionally defined as blood pressure greater than or equal to 140 over 90. But remember, this was the definition before 2017. We all know that that was an established and significant risk factor for pregnancy complications. But the issue is, what do we do with women that are have elevated or stage 1 hypertension? Well, the data seems to 
to show that these women are at also at high risk. They're at increased predisposition to have hypertensive disorders of pregnancy and potentially some NICU stays for their children. So things like aspirin is something that can be considered. Now, there is one thing that I have to say in full transparency about aspirin. There have been studies that have not shown a benefit of using aspirin in these categories, in other words, elevated or stage one hypertension. However, that data came from secondary analysis of a trial that was conducted over 20 years ago, and it wasn't powered to detect changes in that subset of women. So most would agree, most expert opinion seems to state that in women who have elevated and stage one hypertension, then aspirin is the least invasive, the least complicated intervention that can be done to try to prevent the development of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. Remember that multiple meta-analyses have demonstrated the beneficial effects of aspirin in women at high risk of developing preeclampsia. That includes women with traditionally chronic hypertension, prior preeclampsia, and pre-existing medical comorbidities like pregestational diabetes or chronic kidney disease. Aspirin should also be considered for women with at least two moderate risk factors like nulliparity, obesity, family history of preeclampsia, advanced maternal age, black race, or lower socioeconomic status. And as we come to a wrap, remember, if you're planning on sitting for your oral ABOG boards soon and they ask you on your OB case list, so how would you manage a patient who is pregnant with elevated or stage 1 hypertension? According to the 2017 American College of Cardiology guidelines, your answer should be very clear. Retrospective data do show that these women are at increased risk of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy and potentially NICU stays for their children. Although we need much more data to show us what the best course of management and interventions are for these women, then the advice is to begin low-dose aspirin ideally before 20 weeks and have increased surveillance so that if they do hit the 140 over 90 traditional cutoff, then we can intervene early and with patient education so that we can try to prevent as much adverse outcomes as possible. All right, guys, thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.